0: Welcome to How Do You Write. I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 169 of How Do You Write. I'm Rachel Heron. So thrilled that you're here with me today. As I'm recording, it is February 20th, 2020, and we're talking to one of my darlings, That Creek brought to you by my dog opening the door behind me. Uh, Today, we're talking to one of my darlings, Juliet Blackwell, who has a new incredible book that just came out last week, and she's one of my best friends, and I've never been able to talk her into being on the show before, and we have a lovely chat, and she is just one of those radiant, brilliant personalities that I personally can never get enough of, and she really knows the craft of writing. She has written so many books. She's a New York Times bestseller. She is everything. She writes mystery. She writes now women's fiction slash literary, and um, it's beautiful. So I hope that you enjoy our conversation. I think that you will. And what's going on around here? I am seriously on deadline now. The book is due um, in two months, but that is fully revised. So I need to finish it. And do a full major revision. Um, I kind of have about a month for both of those things. The book is halfway done. And uh, don't tell my editor, but um, I have realized that the whole first half is flawed. So in my Scrivener file, I keep all the scenes on the left-hand side. You can kind of, you know, run your eye down them and see what happens in each scene. And I've color coded one of them red. And it says, it's just a simple empty scene that says change all to here. And now I'm moving forward because that's the way I write my drafts. I keep going no matter what. If I stop and go back to the beginning right now and fix it to the way it should be, I don't have any way of knowing if that is correct or not. And if I went back and started to revising to revise it to the midpoint, I might get it wrong. So what I'm doing is I'm going forward as if I have made all the changes that I have told myself I will, and I write it to the end. Hopefully my fixes in my brain that I've written down on my beloved post-its will be correct. And then I'll just go back and in that big revision, I will incorporate all the changes I need to make to the entire first half of the book, which was a flawed premise And if I get that wrong, then I figure something else out. But that is what I'm doing right now. I'm having a little bit of a hard time getting to the page and feel like I'm treading water, but sometimes grabbing a mouthful of salt water. So it's a little bit difficult right now, but we are writers and we keep going and we keep writing. And the goal is words on the page, just words on the page. You can fix the words later. That is another goal to fix them later. That's the fun part. I can tell you how. Uh, And I do go back and listen to my revision podcast, which was, I don't know, like episode 116 or something like that. But if you're not getting words on the page right now, ask yourself why you're not. Is it a time thing? Is it a place thing? Is it a fear thing? Get a journal, write it out, start breaking apart why you're not doing the words, Uh, Are you tired? Are you doing too much? Is there something you can offload? Um, Single mothers of four children are screaming at me in your car right now, and I apologize. You cannot move anything off your plate. You will get your writing done when you get it done. Everybody else, you can do it. You can find the time. I want you to um, try to work that out and figure out what it is that's preventing you to, from getting to the page. If there is something you can always write and tell me about it. I love to hear from you on Twitter. I'm Rachel Herron or on my email, which is Rachel at Rachel Heron.com, But you have to spell it right anywhere else. You can hit me. Um, how do you is working again. So you could even come leave a comment on the show notes, which nobody ever does because that redirect wasn't working for so long. How do you is now working. So come say hello. Very quickly, I would love to thank new patrons. Uh, we have Mary Rose. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Alex no, sorry, Alice. Alice is a new patron. Thank you, Alice. Alex Wolfson just edited their pledge to the $5 mark, which means they get to ask me any question that they want at any time, and I'll answer it in the mini-podcasts. And uh, let's see who else. New patron, Sandy Kirshner. Hello, Sandy. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, I do apologize for not getting a show out last week. I was... I was on my fourth trip in five weeks and I have to tell you, I am exhausted. I'm very glad that I'm home until we go to Barcelona on the writing retreat at the end of April. I don't have any more trips planned. I really need to be at home just working. Traveling that much was difficult, but I have to tell you, the last trip I took was this last weekend, so the podcast didn't go out. I was with my goddaughter as she had a major necessary surgery, but not necessarily a bad surgery. We weren't talking about like a cancer operation or something like that. We're talking about a a major surgery that was healable. And I went down to San Diego to take care of her and we got an Airbnb. And I have to tell you that I accidentally forgot my uh, charging cord for my computer at home. So I couldn't do, I could not do any of the work I had meant to do while I was there. And while I regretted that time lost on working, I also really loved just being with her and cooking her food, and making sure she was comfortable, and taking her pills in time. And we just sat around and watched reality TV, and ate good food, and instead of working, when she napped, I napped. It was really marvelous, and it just made me remember, again, how everything we do, including this writing gig, is about connection. And right now, the fact that you're listening to me is about connection and caring. And we bring that into our work and we share our words because we want to have that connection because that caring is so important in our lives. So I don't know, I'm just kind of pretty high on that feeling right now. So I hope that you are also feeling it. I hope that you're getting some words done. And if you're not, try to figure out why and send me a note. Or if you're getting your words done and you love it, tell me about that too. Now, let us go into the interview with the marvelous Juliette Blackwell and we will talk soon, my friends hey writers I've opened up some coaching slots I'm not taking clients on a weekly basis right now as I'm working on my own books but I am doing one-offs I call them tune-ups tell me your plot problems and ask your character queries let me know what stumbling blocks you're up against get tips and tricks to get you back on the right track ask me questions about all things publishing Together, we'll brainstorm your specific plan of action, making sure you're in the driver's seat of your book again. You'll receive a 30-minute call over Skype or FaceTime, giving you the honest encouragement you need to keep getting better. Or a polite ass-kicking, if that's what you need and ask for. Plus, you'll get an mp3 audio recording or mp4 video, your choice of our chat, so you can re-listen at your leisure. And if you want a little more help, I can also critique either ten pages or your book's outline and talk you through my findings. Just check out rachelheron.com/coach for more info. I'd love to work with you. Now on to the interview. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome to the show one of my truly very best friends in the entire universe, Juliet Blackwell. Hi, Juliet.
1: Hi, Rachel. It's so good to be here.
0: <laughs> right before this, we were talking about how I can't believe that I have never wrangled her to be on this show. Um, but I'm so excited to talk to you today. Let me give you a little bio for people listening. Um, Julia Blackwell is the very fancy New York Times best-selling author. I'm she's so not fancy. Yeah, she's not very fancy. I added that. Uh best-selling author of several novels based in France, including The Vineyards of Champagne, which is the most recent one, The Lost Carousel Carousel of Provence. Letters from Paris, and the Paris Key. She also writes the Witchcraft Mystery Series and the Haunted Home Renovation Series. As Haley Lind, Blackwell wrote the Agatha-nominated Art Lovers Mystery Series. A former anthropologist, social worker, and professional artist, Juliet is a California native who has spent time in Mexico, Spain, Cuba, Italy, the Philippines, and France. You're really one of my... Coolest and most fancy friends, though, honestly. You're,
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. You were you definitely my coolest friend. So, you know, whatever.
0: <laughs> I, I was just remembering while I was reading that bio the day that you hit the New York Times for the first time. And that was a special moment. I think that really you, was. I think you texted us, and I know that at least Sophie and I, and maybe other people, converged upon your house with champagne. Yes, you were the first to arrive with a bottle of
1: champagne. I will never forget. It was beautiful. It was just beautiful. (laughs) But that's one of the things we talk about loving, right, is that we have such a great community of writers, which which is really amazing. And we can really honestly revel in each other's success, I think. Yes. And
0: I think that's just one of the most important things to have as a writer. And I'm always going on and on and on about on the show about that. But you, I really wanted to have you on the show. Um, We're going to talk about your new book at the end. But this is a show about process. And you have a process that is not like everybody else's. You, you do not show up at the
1: page. panic, <laughs> have
0: panic I'm induced. I'm
1: a panic induced process. Yes,
0: <laughs> you don't show up at the page every morning and do your 1,300 words or whatever. Tell us what your process looks like. I know what it looks like, but but tell the listeners. Well, what I looks actually
1: like. do try to show up. Um, you do. most mornings, yeah. uh, um, and theoretically, I have a 2,000 word. Count, but what what actually happens to me usually is I usually start off great guns, like a lot of people do, mm-hmm. and then I do get bogged down. And what happens, I think, and I've been thinking about it a lot because I'm at that trying to emerge from the bog right at the moment. But I think it has to do with um, by the time I get to <clears throat> maybe the fifty thousand word mark, yeah, I I start having so many threads of so many plots or subplots or issues or whatever it is, so many threads that I that I get bogged down and how to how to bring them all together. And that's a that's a hard time for me. That's when I start doing avoidance stuff and oh wouldn't wouldn't that shiny thing over there be more fun than what I'm working on now? Um and then about usually about six weeks before the deadline I start to panic and realize I need to actually get my rear end gear and have that all happen. Can we talk a moment to, and, um, just about, because I think this is really
0: illustrative and useful. Can we talk about how you feel at that point when you're, when you go into panic, there's something you always tell me about your book when you hit that point. Do you know what that is?
1: Oh, that, that I don't know what the ending is.
0: You don't, you always say, I don't have a book. I don't have a book.
1: That's right. I don't have a book.
0: There's no, you don't like the plot. You don't like the characters. I want to start all over again. You always, and you mean
1: it like. I want to call a professional (laughs) to to finish my book. (laughs) Somebody, I need some professional intervention. I need to hire a an actual, an author, actual author made this thing for me. But and you you're never exaggerating. That's how you feel, right? That's how I feel. Yes,
0: and yes. I really identify a lot with that because I think I think I just string out my existential panic a little bit longer than you do. So I'm always feeling it, <laughs> In a, on a on a little bit lower basis. But then you really do you do take care
1: of that by going kind of underground. Is that right? Like you
0: then put I do your head down and... I do
1: generally yeah just kind of duck out of everything i think my 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 friends my neighbors are used to like not seeing me or hearing from me for for at least the last month before a book is due usually and i just i just need to be in that headspace continually and actually i just had a a little talk with my boyfriend this morning about he's like is everything okay with us and i was like yeah and he's like you seem to be not really all there like connecting and I was like I'm just I'm in my head now I'm in this book you know I just am in this book and I can try to turn it off like in the evening or something but it's it's hard for me and I think it's hard for people around me because I am half of me is always now in the book and but this is your process this is how it it works for you and it it works painful (laughs) it's painful I would love to be one of those people who could just sit down every day make my word count and then bring it together and then have a few months at the end to just polish it and that kind of thing but um at this point you know I I do think that the only thing that gets me to finish the book though is having a deadline Mm -hmm. like I think I don't know it would be interesting for me if somebody just said just write a book and see how long it takes. And no worries. I, I don't know that I would ever finish. I really don't know if I'd be able to push through that hard part. You know, I think I'm forced to push yeah. through the hard part because, because that's the only way I'm going to ever get to the deadline. Um, luckily, I will also say, luckily, I have a really good relationship with my editor. We've known each other. My entire publishing career, as you know, I have one of those rare stories where my entire publishing career has been spent in the same publishing house. Um, so they know me well by now and my editor um, and I have a great relationship and, and I can now kind of give her what it's not exactly a rough draft, but it's but it's essentially what some people would call maybe not a finished product mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I, for, for the deadline. Yeah. And then I keep working on it yeah. because I always feel terrible that I gave her something that wasn't polished. Um, And then she comes back with her comments, but by that time I've already been working on it, polishing for a few weeks mm. and then I can incorporate all of her uh, queries into it. And, and so, so, you know, it works work really for the well. deadline, but I feel like there is another you know, there's another cushion there afterward, because you get your edits from your your editor. And and that's also so helpful. And that's something that a lot of people who don't, who aren't yet published, or they don't have an editor, they don't have that part of the process, which is, I think, also really difficult. I love having the, those professional eyes, reading my manuscript and giving me, and of course, a very honest opinion, because my editor wants my books to do well, too. And she's not going to accept something that's, that's not working. And haven't you said that she will,
0: she's, she's pretty blunt with you. That... <laughs> she's very blunt. Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Which I, I honestly prefer. I do too. I do too. She's just, yeah, she, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't use uh, uh bad language or anything, but I often, I, I read into her thing, you know, a lot of WTFs like, <laughs> I don't get what you're doing here, you know, and it's but but I sort of love that about her. She's just she's very straightforward. And again, you know, she and I've been working together for so long. I know she loves my work. And I know she wants my work to shine. Yeah. So so I just really trust her when she's when she's telling me that. Yeah. And I don't need the flowery language. I just need someone to tell me like, this ending doesn't work, you know, do something else. So uh, I love that.
0: I also love that. I love that you mentioned that it's painful. I have I think the reason I do this show is there's, there's a lot of reasons I do the show, but I'm always looking for the magic bullet, the thing that'll make writing yeah, easy for me. Course. And, and I'm taking this class with Becca Syme called, um, write better faster. And it looks, oh. at, it looks at your core strengths on the Clifton strengths, strengths finder, which is like mm-hmm. a Myers-Briggs, but turned up to 11. And, um, and we were, we had our one-on-one the other day and she was like, well, you know, you're doing this particular book, which I'm writing differently because I have such a complete synopsis. So the book feels Uh like it's easier, but I'm less emotionally connected to it because, and she pointed out Uh why I am emotionally connected to my books. It's from my core strengths. And she said, yeah, it might just be that your way is painful. Like, it sounds like your actual, a, yeah. good, your true good yeah. way just hurts, and we're all trying to avoid yeah. suffering, and that's why writing is hard. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. I, I think that, um, I was asked just the other day about, you know, if I write from a, from an outline and, and yeah. or, or by the seat of my pants, um, and I was saying that I de- I definitely write by the seat of my pants. I I I try to have a synopsis. I try to have an outline, and it never sticks to that. Like if I try to stick to the outline, it kills what I'm writing. If I already know what I'm writing, it it does deaden it for me. It it takes a lot of that that emotion out of it. And I think the emotion, even though we're we're feeling it as pain or yeah fear or whatever it is, it's it's I think it enlivens. the the writing, which is interesting, and which might be why (laughs) why people don't write more.
0: (laughs) I think it has to be why people don't write more, because it is not A pleasant, pleasant process. A lot of the time, Uh, a lot of
1: the time it is. Right, it it can be joyful. But, but uh, you know, if you walk into the store and see your book on the shelf, that's very joyful. It pays. It pays for all of that. Right. Yes. (laughs) yes. But the actual process of writing, um, yeah, yeah, having written is wonderful. Yes, having written is wonderful.
0: I was telling you before we came on the air, I didn't write today, and I'm just like, ah, I just feel terrible. And I know that I would have felt better if I wrote. It didn't, yes. it didn't happen today yes. what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing
1: uh i think, <laughs> I think everything <laughs> we've just been talking about sticking it's, to a schedule yeah. and getting it done yeah um yeah I, I i i think that's being really really consistent is is difficult for me i think um I, I think I think perhaps just because what we were talking about, because it is an emotional process for me, it takes it takes a while, and I have to do the things like walking in the woods and whatever. But I'm not calm <laughs> while I'm walking in the woods. You know, I'm actually. Uh, you're thinking Excitable. about it at all. Yeah. So so that it would be nice to reduce that part. That part <laughs> would be really nice to reduce.
0: I agree. Let me know if <laughs> you yeah. figure that out because I'd really I, like
1: to know. <laughs> yeah, But I don't have like I don't have any particular like dialogue I find pretty easy and um, descriptive passages sometimes take more out of me because I as a reader, I often find description boring. So Mm -hmm. I take a lot of time to try to make it not boring. And you're
0: really good at it because I have such a hard time with setting both writing it and reading it. I always, I not always, but I often find it boring and I'm always transported into the place that you write about. And I didn't Uh, know that about you, that you, that you spend so much time making it not boring.
1: It, 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 it,
0: yeah, that,
1: that, because I am a, uh I do tend to skip over a lot of description when I read. So when I'm <sighs> writing a book, especially a book that's so dependent on setting. Yeah. I feel like I really need to spend the time on that and get that across to people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
0: sorry, I'm gonna back up to your process one more time because um I know that in some of your books, if not all of your mysteries, you don't know the ending. Right. I don't. I don't know the
1: ending. You don't, so I you don't know. Ending, you don't so. always know who did it. Yes, it's, I don't. <laughs> I once knew who did it in the mystery, and I and I completely so sub- without meaning to, unintentionally signaled the murderer through the whole book. So everybody knew who the murderer was. So I changed it at the very end. So it was completely leading up to one, and then I changed <sighs> it to somebody else. But then I had to go back and put in at least a few clues to lead up to the other person. And I know? love talking about that because people think
0: that. You know, mystery writers. When you're writing your mysteries and not the women's mm-hmm. section, like they they must have a plot and must have a detailed outline. Right. And you don't. I, that's, that's, I don't. Oh, no. you're such a good no. example
1: of so many things. <laughs> what is your
0: What is your biggest joy when it comes
1: to writing? Uh The biggest joy is is probably what you've heard from a lot of people. I think a lot of us feel like those very rare days mm-hmm. in between all the painful days. When, and sometimes not, it's not a whole day. Sometimes it's an hour or even 15 minutes of just writing and you forget time and you forget whatever, and you're completely in your story and it's coming together. You know, that's the Mm. best, especially if it's been giving you a hard time. Yeah. And then suddenly something happens and you're like, Oh, that's what needs to happen. This, 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 this. And it just feels right. And it's just, it's like drugs. It is like, <laughs> it's like drugs. drugs. It's
0: like, it's a drug I can <laughs> indulge in. I wish I could indulge in it more. Um,
1: can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Craft tip. Um, I, w- I was at the reading, uh, reading the other uh, week, and I was talking about that I don't write with an outline, mm-hmm. usually, at least not a detailed one. I have a sense of where it's going, but I don't have a detailed outline. But what I have started doing and i thought i discovered this i thought this was like the julie technique but apparently it's a thing (laughs) already been written about um which is called a reverse outline so i i write basically a a rough draft of of my book and then um and i often don't have the ending because i don't know the ending yet um but otherwise a rough draft and i will then go through and write an outline of the book i already have Mm. and then i can look at the outline And looking at the outline really helps me, you know, by the time you have 350 pages, it's so, it's like a, an octopus. You can't, it's so cumbersome. You can't remember what's going on where, and the outline I I think allows me to then see from afar, like where, where I need more action, where I can insert something, where, you know, where I can go back in and work something out. So that, that really works for me. That is one of my favorite things to do. And
0: I am really happy to call that the Julie outline. Thinking not a problem for me. <laughs> the Juliet Blackwell outline process. I what think, you don't I know it.
1: Somebody has a copyright on
0: it. <laughs> I independently invented it. It is one of the most useful things, and I love how you called the that draft an octopus because it is just always slithering one arm out when you are like you right. think you got everything tucked in, and then another one comes out,
1: and then another one comes out, and you just
0: can't keep it down. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> so good. That's so good. um What thing in your life? affects your writing in a surprising way?
1: Oh, um, in a surprising way. (sighs) Uh, I I would say, I mean, the thing that most surprises me is how often I come up with characters when I'm on public transit. What? Really? (laughs) (laughs) This actually, I tweeted about this once and the public transit people retweeted it like (sighs) thousands of times. They were like, yeah, for public transit. And I was like, okay. Oh my but, gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> but it's just, whenever I go, I take BART, which is our, our subway system for people who don't know, into San Francisco. And I don't do it that often, but every time I do that, it's I think it's just the, um, I don't tend to be on my phone a lot in public. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of the rare moments where I'm just looking at people and just taking it in and kind of in my own headspace, but also observing people and And, you know, you get very interesting people on BART and in the BART station. That is And I almost always come out with with an idea for a character or two. And often they're not a main character, but they they, it it helps me bring even secondary characters really alive by by just like focusing on someone I've seen in in BART.
0: Okay. And do you have a good recall of of like the looks of people? You're an artist, which is why I (laughs) asked. I, I
1: always carry a notebook and I do often sketch sketch a person. Didn't you know that. So I do little sketches, like little mini sketches and 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 even just silly things, you know, orange sweatshirt, you know, with a ruins logo or whatever. I yeah. mean, but something that I wouldn't think of.
0: I bet you so actually saw that
1: because you're not a sports person. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's just something you can but it's really helpful then when you're when you're trying to write, you know, right people in some sort of distinctive way. I think we all have, we all have little ticks. So we have things that we will write over and over and over again. And it helps get me out of that rut, you know, by, by presenting me with people that I wouldn't have thought of.
0: That's so, 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 so smart. And I'm going to try to do more of that. I usually have like, their their cheeks were red, and they had a Pot belly. There, I'm done. That's what yeah. I got. And yeah. every single man who walks onto the okay. thing looks like that. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, that's awesome.
1: And I love that you sketch it. Um, <laughs> what is the best book you've read recently and why did you love it? Um, I read a book that you recommended to me, which was educated by, uh, what's her name? I have it. Tara, Tara Westover. Westover. Yeah. Which I found really interesting. And I'm actually writing a book now that features a character who grew up in a survivalist household, so it was really um, very interesting that way. But that's not fiction, of course. It's, so no, it doesn't
0: matter that uh, that character uh, doesn't that that character in the memoir doesn't leave you very easily. Like I think I will always yeah. remember that character, and I, I do teach the book, so I think I've read it more than more than most people.
1: But um, it just kind of gets inside you. It's a way. it's a really good one. It's a really good one. In fact that the thing I thought to myself was I need to n- make sure that I'm not invoking this character too much with my character. You know, mm. I can't, you know, my character is very much not her. Yeah. And I started book long before I read it. Um, yeah. I think you're probably still, not in it, any because, danger because her, but because yeah. her character is so strong, it's like, I don't want to, you know, accidentally st- try to steal her soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. And this okay. one, I was just—I was oh, yeah, just mentioning. Yeah, I just wanted to show it because it looks so. I think this cover is so cool. It is gorgeous. Um, and that's and called it, Euphoria. This is like a by picture of bark. Oh, wow. it's by Lily King. It's called Euphoria, Euphoria. Mm-hmm. and it's a book that's based on um on Margaret Mead and some sort of romantic triangle she had. And I just started it, but this was a, a recommendation from a. a bookstore manager. So I always I always like their recommendations. That was um,
0: that that was basically written for (laughs) you. Like you, the anthropologist. Here you go. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, Margaret Mead. (laughs) Yeah, it's been more interesting than one would have thought.
0: And you you know, that thing about the book recommendation, I just that's how I buy books now either buy books on my Kindle or get them from the library after reading about them. But if I go into a bookstore, I just go to the bookseller. Mm -hmm. And I say, Here's what I like. What, what can you not sell enough of? What do do you keep running Uh, out of? What are uh you, what are you recommending the most? Mm -hmm. And I just Mm -hmm. buy it. I don't read the cover. I just, I just buy it. Exactly. Exactly. That's my favorite way. Yeah. That's my favorite way to get a book. I've done that. Mm -hmm. I've done that with you in bookstores. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, right now, will you tell us about your most recent book, which I have told you in person is just my favorite book of yours. Um, I think it's so incredibly rich and so deep and so, heartfelt. But tell us a little bit about The Vineyards of Champagne.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, Yes, it is out now. (laughs) As of like last week. So it's it's pretty Yeah, it came out last, yeah, just a week ago on Tuesday. Um, It's uh, The Vineyards of Champagne is about Rosalind. Rosalind is the main character. And she is working for a wine buyer in Napa. And she's sent to the Champagne region of France, which is in the north of France, um, to select some champagnes for her I I keep putting my hands down for her, for her boss. Um, The only problem is that she doesn't like champagne. She doesn't like France. And, um, and the, really the problem is she doesn't like anything at the moment because her, her husband who she was very much in love with died two years prior to Mm -hmm. the book beginning. Mm -hmm. So she's still really mired in grief. um, And she's, trying to figure out what's next, you know, why she has this dream job. Everyone's like, Oh, this is amazing. You're working for this wine guy and get to drink wine and talk to people about wine. You get to go to France. And she's like, yeah, that's great. So she spends a lot of time pretending that she's okay. And that, um, that everything's fine and it's not. Mm -hmm. So she goes to, to Champagne and on the, on the airplane ride over, she meets Emma Who's a woman from Australia, and Emma is just irrepressible. She's very excited and exciting, um, and she has with her some letters that were written to her aunt during World War One from a soldier um, who was on the front lines in Champagne. And so she herself is heading for Champagne. So a little coincidence that um, she knows the area, and and so she and she and Rosalind basically start working through the letters and discovering a mystery that involves um, the, I, I guess the, the thing that got me excited about the book in the first place that, that set me on this whole path. They discovered that, that the people in the city of what we call rhymes um, in, in France, they call it Reims, but that the people who stayed behind during the war had to seek refuge in the, in the champagne caves under the city and they actually lived there for years while their city was being destroyed by the Germans for four years. Mm. <laughs> they were shelled for years and years mm-hmm. and years. They had a massive old um, cathedral that was very reminiscent of the Notre Dame mm-hmm. that was just ruins, brought to ruins. And um, put, well, about 90 percent of the city was destroyed. But the most amazing thing is they moved underground and they moved their schools underground. They moved cafes and bakeries and hospitals and then the soldiers were billeted down there so there was this whole melange of like thousands of people living underground under the city of Rhymes. and then they also extended the tunnels out under the vineyards and the women brought in the what they called the victory vintages every year despite despite the war but they had to go out at night to pick the grapes. And, um, and there's no actual record of how many people were killed, but <clears throat> they say that at least 20 children were killed oh trying God. to bring in the harvests. Oh my God. So it was just, they, to me, it was just amazing that they, first of all, that they lived down there and they survived down there and then they managed to bring in the harvest. And why would you bring in the harvest? But they always said it was to make the wine. You have to make the wine. And to me, it was such a, it was such a wonderful metaphor because they have to, the champagne has to sit for years before it's drinkable, so there's this hope in the future that they will have so, victory, and they will have victory, and they'll be able to drink their their wine then. So when Rosalind goes and she discovers all of this, and she meets people, of course, um, and and they track down a mystery that's in in the tunnels, and I think through that what what she's seeing, and I think that's what people are reacting really well to in the book, which is nice. I think she um, she really fought. She finds a real connection to a people who didn't give up, mm-hmm. no matter how mm-hmm. awful it was. Mm-hmm. It was a awful, awful war, as we all know. Um, but these people kind of they kept going, and they didn't just keep going, but they made the wine. It was I guess the you know,
0: <laughs> I've heard this before, and every time I hear it, and I've read the book, of course, and every time I hear it, I just get chills. And you do that dual timeline—you do the historical I timeline did. then and the current timeline—but just you as a person, you have this almost preternatural ability to find very cool stuff oh you know from <laughs> that nobody knows about I, every time I've seen you talk about these underground you know the caverns where they lived everyone leans forward and goes really I didn't know that and then you
1: turn these into books <laughs> That's thing. yeah yeah. But how did we not know this? I mean, how did we not I don't know. I don't learn know. this in history class? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like I learned much at all about World War One, I, yeah. I have to say. Um and you
0: have so the I, distinct advantage of having a wine importer French boyfriend. Boyfriend. I do. <laughs> they, I you do. do spend a That's lot of helpful. time in France and, and I and I know that you go there with wide open eyes and an ability. Whenever you go, whenever you're scouting out a new book, you look around. You say, What what will be the fascinating,
1: interesting thing I learn about? That's, that's, it's true. No, it's true. And I think, you know, I have to say, um, we were talking about that, that book, Euphoria and Margaret Mead, and I did study anthropology and I, I think there was, I don't know whether I was trained um, as an anthropologist and therefore I observed things like that, or if I was just called to that anyway, and that's why I became an anthropologist. But what, what fascinates me is what makes people tick and it's not the like when you talk about war history my eyes glaze over i i i understand it's important i just don't care what battle was waged where whatever i want to know what they were eating yeah I, you yeah. know how did they get food to these guys like yeah. how did that how did that happen right. one of the one of the little um one of the little details i read was that their tea always tasted like the stew from the night before cuz they didn't have an, any new pots so they made the morning tea in the same pot, and they couldn't waste a lot of water by washing, so they did the best they could. But the men complained. That's one of the major complaints was that their tea tasted like whatever they ate the night before. Be a major complaint which, for me which, too. Which is awful. I mean, they're already in the trenches. They're you know, it's just this awful, awful, awful life that they're le- leading, and they can't even get a decent cup of tea. You know, it's like <laughs> it, it just. But I love that yeah, because that yeah. to me is like what what life was yeah. actually because people live under wartime situations. Yeah. And so I'm always, I'm always curious about what happens to the women. So many of the men are off to war and they have their experiences and they're horrific, but the women have experiences too. And, you know, and they're also usually taking care of children and elderly people and trying to get by in all those ways. And how does that happen?
0: And you yeah, do I, such a good
1: curious. job of it pay taxes like what right. happened like where, how did they get food you yeah. know what what's the basics yeah do they have any plumbing like what's going now, on i always think about so. the bathroom like what what, what Me where, too.
0: where were they getting the toilet paper or whatever they were using how did that work
1: yeah yeah Yeah. Big yeah, which questions. Is awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an awful thing well thank you yeah.
0: so much julia tell us where listeners can find you
1: Oh, thank you. Well, um uh, my my website is julietblackwell.net dot net or dot com, either one. Um and I'm also on I'm on Twitter. Um I think it's just at Juliet Blackwell. And I'm on Facebook, it's Juliet Blackwell Author. You get a good off- Facebook. If people are on Facebook, oh, that's a great okay. place to follow you. I'm not on Instagram because I'm just You're holding out. <laughs> holding out, <I'm> holding out. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I can't wait for the next time we hang out and and just yeah. be together. Thank
1: you so, for having me. Right. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. 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 Thanks
0: so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write?